over. Those were the newscaster's words on June 7, just this summer, as he announced the discovery of a bronze chest filled with gold, jewels, valuables, worth more than a million dollars. It had been buried in the Rocky Mountains in lush forested vegetation and left there for over 10 years by a man by the name of Forrest Fenn. Maybe you heard about this. He buried the treasure, so he said, because he wanted to tempt people to get into the wilderness and give them a chance for an old-fashioned adventure. Fenn posted clues to finding the buried treasure online and also in a poem that he published in his autobiography in 2010 called The Thrill of the Chase. Interestingly, hundreds of thousands attempted. Many of them quit their jobs to dedicate themselves to finding this treasure. Some dedicated their entire life savings to find it. And four, at least four, died searching for it. On his website, Fenn congratulated the thousands of people who joined the search, and he said that he hopes that they will continue to be drawn by the promise of other discoveries. That's why we're here this morning, not to find a buried treasure in the Rocky Mountains, but to find the treasure that's worth more than the most wealth we could ever acquire. Discovered the truth of God's word that he has for us that's more than any worldly treasure. Let's bow our heads as we pray together this morning as we start our study. Father in heaven, we're asking for your anointing. Please bless me as I speak and bless all of us as we hear, listen, respond, and obey. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know it. We're at number five in our series called Beginnings, and we're in the book of Genesis, and we're studying the first chapter of, and, and with its beginnings of foundational truths that are important for us as followers of God in our discipleship and in our witness. One truth originated by God in creation but largely forgotten since and discarded by even God's own followers is the Sabbath. In the beginning, by God's own example, he patterned our week and he said, six days for work, the seventh set apart for some time, some space, a place on our calendar for the grace of God. The Genesis account tells of this from the very beginning. It says, Genesis 1-1, it starts with God. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then, interestingly, the creation account ends with another statement about God. Genesis 2, verse 2. By the seventh day, 
God had finished the work he had been doing. So creation story begins with God saying, ends with God saying, and it builds towards something very special, something spectacular. Just like an architect who designs a house with each room with its particular function, a kitchen, a den, a living room, a rec room, bedrooms, closet, bathroom, each with its special purpose, each with its special function. And all together, it works together as a house. So the creation story builds towards something and reveals something of God's interest. God builds a foundation of the light He frames it with the seas. He follows by walls of animals. And then it's inhabited by human beings. Then comes the final aspect, what you might call the roof of the house, the Sabbath. Genesis 2.2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. If you look closely at that verse, we'll leave it on the screen, or if you have your Bible, you can look at it even more carefully. Three times, you'll notice, the seventh day is mentioned. It's repeated three times, and if we looked at it in Hebrew, it's three times in three sentences, and each sentence is seven words. And seventh day is at the center of those three sentences. It was God emphasizing. This was back in the day before we had exclamation points, before we had italics, before we had bold, before we had underlining, before we had all these large print and whatnot. It was form and repetition. And God emphasized something very important. The Sabbath day is of paramount importance in the whole creation narrative. The day of rest, when God brought everything together, peace, harmony, and blessing. This is, this is the climax. This is the apex of creation. Sabbath is the roof of the house. It brings everything together, covers everything. Six days are filled with creative activity. But the seventh day, God ends his work and infuses this day with blessing and sacredness and and holy making power. That's what he does. It's not a future add-on like some people think of it. It's not something generated by God's people down the road a ways. It's God's cosmic order. It's, it's part of the very fabric of creation. It can't be changed. It can't be dismissed. It can't be repealed. It can't be abolished by humankind. It's blessed. It's sacred. Because it comes from the creator God himself. Independent of any human effort or involvement. Sabbath. The one true God. The God of all creation established this, a a weekly rhythm, as it were, a reminder of God's love, a 
That's what it is. It's a reminder of the innumerable blessings that Sabbath brings. And today we're going to just touch on five of those blessings that I see in the Sabbath. Five delights, as I call them. First of all, delightful rest. You know, think of it. Adam and Eve's first impression of God would have been grace. They did nothing to deserve this rest. And they were to be reminded week by week that God is not a slave driver. Not at all. Interestingly, social scientists say that we make our minds up about people in about the first 100th millisecond. We make our minds up about people. That's in first impression. First impressions matter. They matter a lot. And imagine what Adam and Eve learned about God, about God's generosity from their first impression of him on the first day of their life. Think about that. Their first knowledge of God, their first knowledge of the world would have been rest, a rest of grace, a rest of love. Sabbath is not a reward for hard work. That's slavery. Sabbath comes to us. It comes to us today the same way it came to our first parents. It comes to us as a gift of grace, God's grace, a day to rest in God's presence. That's Sabbath. I like the way one author put it. He said, Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do. We are who we are loved by. That's what the Sabbath tells us every week. God's grace, God's acceptance, God's fulfillment, God's love for us. The first divine action that man is privileged to witness is God resting, God blessing, God making this day, this day with him, special, holy. And Adam and Eve kept that Sabbath day with God, their first day with God. And they had one thing to celebrate on that first day with God, God's goodness. And that's what Sabbath is for us. It's a day to celebrate God's goodness. So let me give you a filter, okay? Suggest for you a filter for ex- experiencing Sabbath. Just this. Delight in God's goodness. Delight in God's goodness. Enjoy nature. Read the story of, from his word. Stories of his miraculous grace. Feast on good food. <laughs> Hug your kids. Grow in your love for friends and family. Sabbath teaches me that I don't need to work in order to please God. Sabbath is not a reward for my goodness. Sabbath is because of God's goodness. God's goodness to me. And I rest 
And my rest is not a payment for my effort. It's not a payment for my witness. It's not a payment for my, my growth. I rest because God is pleased with me. Imagine that. God is pleased with, with you. He loves you. So that's the, the first thing. It's a, it's a delightful rest, but it's more than that. It's a, it's a delightful orientation as well. Not only did the Sabbath rest speak to Adam and Eve and to us about God's rest, it also, you could say, oriented their lives. It directed their lives, and it directs our lives toward the Creator God. Sabbath reminds me that it's really not my time because all time is really God's. And the time we have is blessed by Him and we should use it to honor and to be a blessing to Him. Interestingly, interestingly, in Judaism, there were no names for the days of the week. There were no Sundays and Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and on it goes. Each day was numbered according to the Sabbath. Sunday was the first day after the Sabbath. Monday was the second day after the Sabbath. And on it went. And Friday was the preparation day, the day before the Sabbath. Sabbath, therefore, orients my whole week. It's, it's an orientation for me. It, it tells me, it reminds me, it helps me to remember that God is a great giver of life. He's the one who gives me strength. He's the one who gives me help. He's the one who heals me. He's the one who blesses my family. He's the one who's given me talents. That's what the Sabbath is about. It reminds me of that. It's also interesting to me that the earliest Christians, there's record that they were buried as a habit with their feet facing toward the east. That was their preference. They wanted to be buried with their feet facing toward the east. And here's why. Here's what they were thinking when Jesus returned and they were raised from the dead. They wanted to be standing and looking at him. They wanted to be facing him. And it's the same way with Sabbath. That's what the Sabbath does for us. It orients our lives. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, is to orient my life, my being, my everything, according to the life and death of Jesus Christ, his life for me. Sabbath is a delightful orientation too, you could say. That's what it is. It's a turning toward our creator God. And that turning, that orienting, changes everything in our lives. If we'll live it every day, it's, it's like a complete reorientation to hope, to healing, to God's saving grace, to the soon return of Jesus Christ. That's what the Sabbath is. It's an orientation. And it's more than that. It's Sabbath. It's a delightful rest. And thirdly, it's, it's delightful holiness, as I think of it. It's interesting because the framework of the seven days is significant. Seven days of creation. You know that seven is 
uh, means in, in, in terms of significance. It means divine perfection, completeness. The seventh day of the week is not a result of human ingenuity. It's a reflection of God's brilliance, of God's ingenuity. It's not something that can be or should be ever tinkered with, although some have tried to tinker with it. Historically, 1793, France, during the French Revolution, wanted to try to increase productivity so they de-Christianized the calendar. You probably know this story. They modified the seven-day work week and they made it into a 10-day work week. And they even made new clocks that, re- that, that reflected this revision. You know also that this experiment miserably failed, quickly failed. Suicides skyrocketed. People burned out and production decreased. Why? Why is that? They just made a little mistake. Is that it? No. We weren't made to work nine days and rest one. We were made to work six and to rest one. The imperative to rest is not established by humankind or human science. The imperative to rest, Sabbath, is established by one thing, Scripture. It's, it's not a human directive. And it came to us before any other ethical directive, which is quite interesting to me as I think about it. Sabbath is the only command of the Ten Commands that are later written in the book of Exodus. Sabbath is the only command that was expressed directly to Adam and Eve. Now, why was the Sabbath first, you might say? Because God kept it, that's why. And God made us to follow Him. So He built it into creation. Some say that, well, they say, I I just don't have time for Sabbath. And I have to say, are you stronger? Are you wiser than God? God's way can never be tinkered with. As one person said, if you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. (laughs) It's true. In 1974, the NASA Skylab space station's crew, they they were about halfway through what was to be an 84-day mission. And the crew was exhausted. So they requested a day off, a day of rest from mission control. And mission control said, no, no day off. They refused the request. And so interestingly, the crew went on strike in space, the first of its kind. They disobeyed orders, and the crew took a space Sabbath. (laughs) Ground control was forced to change their policy, and to this day, NASA now schedules days of rest during space travel. Six days of work. One day of rest, it's divine rhythm. God made it. That's what he said. 
Interestingly, the only thing God calls holy in the creation story is Sabbath. It says, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. That's Genesis 2, verse 3. You know, the, the earth, the space, land, stars, animals, people, all those things, none of them are called holy. They're called good. You think that after making all these wonderful things, that, that God would make some kind of a place that would be holy, some place that, that could be set aside, a, a sanctuary of a holiness, a place of holiness would be established by God, but God doesn't even make a, a place holy. He makes a day holy, a sacred day. And Adam and Eve were invited to, into that sacredness, that, that seventh day of holiness. They were invited to make the Sabbath day holy. Now, they couldn't make the Sabbath day holy. No one can make it holy. God makes the day holy. But they were invited to experience this holiness, the holiness of God on his Sabbath day. It's a day, as I think of it, it's a day that God enters into rest with all who will. It's a day that God refashions and he, he refreshes and he reprograms and he transforms and he changes us into his image. That's what Sabbath is about. By his spirit, through his word, in nature, through worship, in relationships. In essence, God invites us to a weekly paradise of holiness in him. One Jewish scholar beautifully described God's day of rest this way. Sabbath is a moment of eternal glory momentarily breaking into our finite present world. I like that. That's what Sabbath is. So Sabbath is delightful rest. Sabbath is delightful orientation. Sabbath is delightful holiness. But Sabbath is more than that. Sabbath is also delightful celebration. That's what I see in this creation story. God creates and he calls it good. He calls it good over and over again. It rings in the creation story. He created and it was good. He created and it was good. He created and it was good. And then at the end it says it was very good. The written account is clear that the world is fundamentally good. And the goodness of creation speaks to an important principle of Sabbath living. And that is delighting in God's creation. That's part of Sabbath living. Which is why mangoes are one of the greatest arguments for God's existence. And I I forgot to bring my mango this morning. Mango. We had three of the most delicious mangoes this week, and I don't know whether you've eaten a mango lately, but they can be bad, I know, but I have had two of the most delicious, and I saved it for this morning. Wouldn't you know it? Left it at home. But every time I eat a mango, every time I, I, I eat a mango, fresh, juicy, ripe, change your shirt juicy, mango, okay? There's something that tells me that 
cannot come from nowhere. I don't know what you think about it, but that cannot come from nowhere. You cannot enjoy a mango and say, that came by chance. I can't. There's something so delicious about it that tells me it couldn't have come from nowhere. It couldn't have. Sabbath tells me creation is good. Why? Because God is good. And God only made good. And His goodness is reflected in what He makes. Now, whether it's a mango or a blueberry or a watermelon or a majestic cedar or a beautiful seascape, whatever, nature is part of God's love language to us. And on the Sabbath, we can hear that from Him. That's why the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment, reminds us that creation is His work. He says, six days shalt thou labor and do all their work. But the seventh day, for in six days, it says, Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, in six days the Lord made heavens and earth to see and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Sabbath. God's good world is a world of delight, a world of blessing, a world of joy, a world of generosity. I like the way reformer Martin Luther said it. He said, God writes the gospel not in the Bible alone, but also on the trees and in the flowers and the clouds and the stars. Which reminds me, which reminds me, have you seen Neil Wise? Have you? Yeah. Uh, the last couple nights, I've been going out and with my binoculars looking up into the northeast skies just below the big dipper and you can see this these are not pictures taken by me but it's a this is a picture taken by a friend here in Walla Walla of Neil Wise a three mile wide chunk of ice and dust that's giving us a rare cosmic light show and to me it's evidence of God's creative goodness I mean how did they know how will they know that it's coming back around because God is order he created everything good and in order. And Sabbath is a celebration. It's a celebration, a day of rejoicing over the goodness of what God has made and the one who made it. It's delighting in, in, um, in, cel- it's delighting in celebration, the celebration of his, of his creation. It's delighting in his holiness that he invites us to. It's, it's delighting in, in an orientation that, that keeps us focused on who we are and what God's about. It's a delighting in God's rest that he invites us into. But finally, it's, a, it's a, a delightful relationship. That's what Sabbath is about, our final Sabbath truth. As a part of good creation, Adam tended the garden and named the animals, and then he named, as he named them, as you know, we talked about it last week, he realized something was missing. Now, the narrative doesn't suggest that he knew exactly what he needed, but God knew what he needed. God knew. And here, we encounter the first not good in Scripture. Everything up till now has been good or very good. But here, God says, it is not good. It is not good, he says in Genesis 2, verse 18, for a man to be alone. 
Now notice, notice when this not good happens. Was it after the fall? No. Was it because of Adam's disobedience that it was not good? No. It happened before the fall, before disobedience. And so we have to conclude that God did not create human beings to exist with him alone. Adam needed relationship. God's design for humanity is complete only in relationship. Adam needed a helper. You could say Adam needed community. Why did God wait to create a woman until later? Why did God do that? Because he must have wanted Adam to sense his deep need. He must have wanted Adam to, to, to sense this and know this in his heart. Jesus, that's, I think, the same sort of reason why Jesus, when he met someone who was in need and wanted healing, he always asked them, or usually he asked them, the blind, the hungry, the needy who came to him, he asked them, what is it that you want? And I've always thought that was kind of a silly question to ask. What is it that you want? Of course, the blind wants to see, the deaf want to hear, the, the dumb want to speak, and the, the others want to be healed. They, they want that. But he asked them that question because he didn't want them to be ignorant, nor does he want us to be ignorant of our need. And so it is true that the core of the very core of human experience is relationship. Relationship with God. Relationship with family. Relationship with others. Relationship. Relationship needs are not a byproduct of our fall from grace. It's the way God created us. Relationships are the way that God intended for us to function which is why I'm strained during this COVID-19 pandemic because we can't have relationship like God intended us to have. And so our fellowship as a body of Christ is seriously impacted here at Village Church and around the world. God's church is impacted Scripture encourages us, you know these words, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I'm so grateful that this place, our place was deemed an essential service. I think it is an essential service. It's essential to the human race because God made us this way. Gathering of believers for worship, for fellowship, for study, for prayer is essential. It's integral to the Sabbath. It's, it's part of how we're built. Now, I'm just going to direct my attention to some of you who are listening online or on Blue Mountain TV, for which I am so grateful. I mean, where would we be without these wonderful, this wonderful technology? But I want you to know that we are sanitizing. (laughs) We are masking. 
We are social distancing. We are doing all the things that make this place safe so that you can be here face to face. Yeah, I know that some of us need to stay away because of some of our health challenges. For some of you, being right at home is probably the best place to be right now. But I have to say that we're made for fellowship. We're made for being together. And I've, I've been so blessed the last few Sabbaths as I've been together in fellowship with you in Sabbath school. My, I, I've been attended two adult classes last week, this week. Oh, what a blessing that was. And it was in person. Yes, spaced, but in person, hearing and responding and being moved by the Spirit of God. I thank God for technology where we can be distant in doing that, but there's nothing like being together in the body of Christ. It's like rest. It's like rest, really. You know, if I choose never to rest, if I choose to sacrifice that, it's going to catch up with me. It's going to catch up with me. Truth is not a set of rules, cold rules that God made in heaven. Truth is reality. It's like one scholar put it, violating the eternal law is not like doing 40 in a 35 mile per hour zone when there's no traffic around. That's not violating the law. Violating the law, violating God's law is more like trying to violate the law of gravity. An apple has no choice about whether to obey the law of gravity. Now, we have freedom. God's given us freedom to violate the truths that he's given us. But if we violate those truths, there are consequences. There are consequences. God created gravity. Now, we have a choice to believe or disbelieve, but we'll do so at our own cost. And our belief or disbelief cannot invalidate it. That's the same way with the rest, God's rest, the Sabbath rest that God created from the very beginning. It was Adam and Eve's need. It's our need for delightfulness. It's like gravity. It just is Sabbath from creation. Sabbath as God designed it, restores. One day, on Sabbath, you know the story that happened in several of the Gospels recorded in Matthew. I'm Mark chapter 3. Jesus saw a man with a shriveled hand in the synagogue. And with Jesus' blessing, it says his hand was completely restored. That was on the Sabbath. And I think that's what every Sabbath is about. Restoring. Restoring us in God's image. God made it. And and that's why I think Isaiah 58 calls Sabbath a delight. Isaiah 58, verse 13. He says, says, call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable. That's what God made the Sabbath day to be a delight. That's why I've called this delightful. Delightful in so many ways. Sabbath is, Sabbath is like a treasure. A treasure. 
we're healthier, we're happier, we're more available to God, we're more available to others because of it. But Sabbath delightfulness is more than Sabbath usefulness. I just want to go back to that for a minute. You know, the Sabbath isn't, we don't keep it just because it's useful. <laughs> okay? We don't love God just because he's useful. Do we? If we do, we shouldn't. We don't, that's not why we love God. We love him. And by the way, loving God is, is more useful and a blessing than, than can be numbered, okay? But we love him because he's worthy to be loved. Because he loves us. And we love him just because he is lovely and worthy of that. And that, that's sort of like what Sabbath is, as I think of it. It's to be cherished. It's to be delighted in. And God made it that way. He made it as a treasure. And we do Sabbath out of obedience. We do Sabbath out of obedience, not because we're trying to get something, although we do. There's lots of getting in keeping the Sabbath. There are endless benefits to Sabbath keeping. But we don't do it for its benefits, do we? We shouldn't. I didn't marry my wife because of the benefits. Boy, can you imagine that, a proposal like that? Would you marry me? I, I love the benefits of this arrangement. <laughs> And there are plenty, I can assure you. And there are plenty of benefits to being married to my wife. Uh, but I didn't marry my wife for the benefits. I married my wife because I loved her. And I wanted to do life with her. And the Sabbath is sort of like that. The Sabbath is like marriage. The Sabbath is about delighting in God for God's sake, for God's honor. In Sabbath, I enjoy. In Sabbath, I delight. In Sabbath, I relish the goodness of God, the generosity of God. That's why the Sabbath is, is delightful in its rest. The Sabbath is delightful in the way it orients us to God. The Sabbath is delightful in its holy-making ways in us. The Sabbath is delightful in, in its celebration of God as creator. The Sabbath is delightful in the, the relationships that we can build together. I read somewhere that Jewish fathers, I don't know whether they still do it or not, but some Jewish fathers on Sabbath morning would give each of their children a spoon of honey on Sabbath morning. Now, why would they do that? Because they wanted their children to always remember the sweetness of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is sweet with God's goodness. He made it that way. And that delight awaits you and me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the Holy Sabbath day that you've given to us as a gift, a gift of your grace. We don't earn it. We'll never deserve it. But you invite us to enter into it and in that, enter into such a delightful relationship. A relationship that blesses our lives with health and
peace and strength and vigor and insight. It's a delightful thing, Lord. And we thank you and praise you for that gift you've given us. Now, help us, Lord. Help us now to uncover the beauty of your Sabbath and that relationship that you invite us into every Sabbath day. May we live our lives oriented to that. Tomorrow, may we just live in the glow of the Sabbath. And the next day, and then as the week goes on, may we live in anticipation of the coming Sabbath and all for your glory and all for your honor. And we thank you for that gift, that gift of transforming grace in Jesus' name. Amen.